You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Greg Cupney, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. It's Travis Curra, a fun episode for you today. We've got Derek Dennis, the bone crusher, offensive lineman for the Calgary Stampeders on the show. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Make sure you check out episode 132 of the Well Endowed podcast. It shows out how an endowment fund created by the Friends of the Royal Alberta Museum Society will help support the Royal Alberta Museum far into the future. You can subscribe at the wellendowedpodcast.com. Let's get to my chat with Derek Dennis. And uh, joining the show right now is number 63, offensive lineman for the Calgary Stampeders, Derek Dennis. How's it going, man? Good, Trav. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I guess uh, your first time on the show was in front of a crowd eating brisket in uh, Calgary. Yeah. yeah, it was. Good times, man. Good times. Oh, that, was, that was good times at that great cup. Now, I didn't really have time to really you know, dig in a little bit at that event, but you weren't always a football player in high school. You had some success with basketball, back-to-back state titles in 05, 06. Am I right? Yep. 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 Uh, all state, all county, all state. Um, one of the top uh, 50 players in the state. Completely off topic, LeBron or Jordan. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a Jordan guy through and through. I'm actually actually to me, people may get upset with me, but I think LeBron is the third best player to ever play in the NBA. I put Kobe ahead of him. That's just my personal preference because I feel like I got a chance to see all three in their primes, and Kobe was was like the reincarnation of Mike. And even like kind of um, what, what kind of like affirmed it for me was uh, they just dropped the the dream the oh, redeem team. Yeah. yeah, and I watched it the other night. And it just, it just, I'm just like, man, I don't think people realize like how, like how great Kobe was and like what what he did. Even even when LeBron was kind of at that peak of like, okay, this is LeBron's league, he's about to take over. He still had to deal with, you know, still had to deal with Kobe Bryant, you know. So that's 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 to me, Kobe's the second best player to ever played in the NBA. When we watched the, uh, the 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 98 Chicago Bulls documentary and it was just crazy how driven Jordan was to win, even if he was just throwing quarters with the security guy. Kobe was like that too. <laughs> See, the thing, the thing that, I, like me growing up watching Mike, and that's the, the thing I, I, like, I attribute to, like what Mike's greatness was, it was like every time you watched the Bulls game in that era, like you just knew, like, 
Mike yeah. wasn't going to lose. It didn't matter like who he was playing or what the score was. You just knew Mike was just going to refuse to lose. And if he did, he was just like, wow. Like yeah. I kind of, I kind of contributed to like that era of like watching Mike Tyson box. He was like, you knew every time you saw Mike Tyson fight, you knew it was going to end in the first round. Golden state going to stay elite this year. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. they still got three of the best players in the NBA. I mean, with with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and also too like Jordan Poole is, yeah. is coming to his, his own. He's looking like the looking like the second coming of Steph a little bit. So they're they they're gonna be they're gonna be a, a team to, to reckon with. For sure. So I mean, you played basketball and football. Where when when does the Bone Crusher name come into play? I actually got that in my uh, senior year of high school. So it's, it was a joke, actually. I always tell people, like, it started as a joke from the rapper. So if you remember the song Never Scared, the rapper Bone Crusher was a oh, big yeah. dude, a big afro. I had a big afro just like that in high school. So the kids started calling me Bone Crusher to make fun of me. And then the first time I, I went out to, like, first day of football practice, and I, like, broke a kid's leg. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, you're the Bone Crusher for real. And then they just kinda, it just kind of stuck. And then it just when I got to college, same thing happened. And then all the coaches started calling me Bone Crusher. Because um, I kind of made it my – see, that's how old I am. I was around when Twitter first started. <laughs> so when I made my Twitter, I had already had that nickname. I was a senior in high school when I made my Twitter. So I was like, oh, you know what would be, it would be a cool Twitter name instead of just putting Derek Dennis, I'll just put Bone Crusher. And then it just – when people would see my Twitter as I started going through my football career and everybody just started calling me Bone Crusher. My college coach just started calling me Bone Crusher. And then when I got to the league, when I got to the NFL, fans saw my Twitter handle. It was like, oh, he's a Bone Crusher. And it just kind of stuck with me all the way. How do you see teams now? Obviously, you're a veteran. You're well into your career. Handle something like Twitter than when it when it first started. I feel like when it first came out, teams maybe – they probably had no idea what to do or <laughs> what they no, should honestly, do. <laughs> what's crazy is, is I'm surprised. Like, cause I know Mike, my, my Twitter, when it first started, I didn't have any followers. I was in college. Nobody was paying attention. Right. I was just tweeting random. You know, you're a college kid. You tweet random stupid stuff all the time. Like just talking about stuff that no one's paying attention to. And then, um, as you know, as I got towards the latter part of my college career and I didn't really take Twitter serious until I got to the NFL. And that was when I got cut on Hard Knocks my rookie year. And then that's what kind of when my Twitter kind of blew up because people just wanted to, like, see what my football journey was like and see what transpired with me after seeing me on national TV get, you know, released from the NFL is my, like, my first experience of welcome to pro football type of thing. So that's when I started taking Twitter a little serious. And then that's when the kind of the bone crushing name just kind of took off for me uh, after I was on Hard Knocks in 2012. And I think one of the one of the crazy, obviously supremely talented offensive linemen, but a lot of times old linemen they don't get the love. You you know that, but I, I feel like your access ability on Twitter has made you one of the most well known old linemen in the CFL. Is that because of Twitter? You think? I think it is. I think it is. I mean, Twitter's my Twitter's my way of. Uh, me kind of showing my personality in a sense, right? So what I always tell people is, as a kid, I grew up a big Shaquille O'Neal fan. So, like, Shaq was my idol. So everything, like, kind of what Shaq did and how he carried himself, his persona in the media, like, Shaq was just always being himself and wanting to show people, like, you know what I'm saying, I'm more than just 
a dominant force in what I do on the on the field, the court, whatever the case may be, right? So that kind of stuck with me as a kid growing up. So it just kind of naturally came to me that when I started, you know, getting a little bit of like social media notoriety and stuff like that, it was just my chance to go, okay, now people are paying attention to me. Let me show them like who I really am, like type of thing. And I always say like, Offensive linemen, we're the unsung heroes of football. Like no one pays attention to us. Only when we're doing, only time we get attention is when we're doing bad. When we're doing yeah. good, no one pays attention to us. No one mentions us. No one talks about us. Right? It's always the, the flashy guys, the quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers. Right? You know all the all the quote unquote sexy positions. So I, I always like took it upon myself to go like, what can I do to differentiate myself from? you know, from other guys, right? I don't, I'm never, I've never been a guy who wanted to just sit in the shadows. It's like, if I'm doing well, I want people to know I'm doing well. If I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing bad, I don't care if you tell me I'm doing bad. Like, I, I, it comes with the with the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. So, um, I just use it as a way to show my personality, right? I don't know why, I think the biggest thing, especially now with the growth of social media and athletes is, athletes and, and that media, anything with media tied to it and athletes has always been like a negative connotation to it, Right. So I was me. I'm a I'm a. I grew up like idolizing media as well as idolizing athletes. So I always wanted to find a way to tie the two together. And what better way for me to do that now with the growth and age of technology and social media, with being able to show people who I am, what I'm about, the things that I like to talk about, give my opinions, whether you whether you right, wrong, or indifferent. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm always about dialogue and talking to people. So that's what I try to use my social media for. Now, when uh, the CBA discussions this past off season, whenever there was some news that came across the pipe, I'd always go, okay, what's Bone Crusher saying? Like, what's exactly happening here? Is that ruffling some feathers when you're a little too honest? I mean, sometimes it does. But the crazy part is the reason why I was doing it was I was just trying to be the voice of the athletes, right? Mm. A lot of people didn't realize that a lot of guys would reach out to me on certain topics to, like, talk about it. And they'd be like, and they would like put the battery in my back. Yo, D, go on Twitter and, and say it. Wow. Go, go out there and do it. And I was the one who, like, you know, most guys would be like, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want people to look at me. I didn't care. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm articulate. I'm smart. I can handle myself. I can back up anything. You know what I'm saying? I don't mind going at when people come at me. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, that doesn't bother me as it does maybe some other guys, right? So I just look, took it as a, as a point of me being the voice of my fellow, my fellow brethren, right? Um, I, it's crazy. Uh, Marshall Ferguson actually told me like people refer to me as the Draymond Green of the CFL, and I was like, yeah. I mean, honestly, I can see that. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that moniker. It doesn't bother me. No, I I think what is interesting, you know, about the CFL, there's the Canadian and there's the American aspect, but it seems like every single player they they go into the CBA thing not just to make things better for themselves, but better for all players going forward coming into the CFL. And and that's what you guys are all about, especially the guys that have been playing for many years in Canada, hey? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the way I look at it, and I, I've had this discuss, discussion with guys, is when I talk about the CBA, I'm not talking about it in reference to, like, for my benefit. Because, honestly, I'm really not going to benefit too much from it because I'm right. at the latter part of my career. I'm an older guy, like – I, I'm, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm not oblivious to what, what the, you know, what's in front of me. I know that, you know, my time is, is going to be limited in a sense. So what I wanted to do is affect change for the future generation, right? For the guys coming after me, the guys who are younger in the league and going to be here for, you know, five, six, seven years, right? I wanted them to be able to benefit from something, right? My thing is 
I want to be able to have my time in the CFL mean something, regardless of whether it's just playing or, you know, being a vocal guy and kind of putting certain issues out there that people just don't talk about or whatever the case may be, right? I want to be able to come back 10, 15 years from now and people remember me for something, right? Whether it be good, bad, or whatever. I want to be remembered for something, right? Of course, I would want it to be my play on the field. And I feel like I've done that enough for people to know that I wasn't just like a, you know, that's that's what kind of gives, I think, gives my words some weight is the fact that I actually am a good player. Like I'm not just a average guy or a guy who didn't really do anything on the field having these opinions. I'm a guy who actually has played it at a high level, has been recognized at a high level, and can have some type of you know, understanding of what the business is, the in and outs of it, right? A lot of times, especially in pro football, people just think it's about putting on helmet and pads and playing football and, and you know, play out your contract and all this stuff, right? People forget it's a business, right? And also, it's not just a business, but it's a business with real-life humans who depend on providing for their families and other people to be able to do that, right? So if I'm not feeling like I'm not getting the proper resources or the, the proper – you know, um, pay in the sense like anybody feels that way. If you're working a job and you're doing everything you can, but you feel like you're not being compensated for it, of course you're going to have some thoughts about it and feel a type of way, right? I think sometimes people kind of try to put, you know, pro sports in a separate light as opposed to like real life stuff, right? And they don't give that give it that same type of thought. So uh, that's a lot of the things that I do on Twitter as well, is just kind of show people like we are real people too. We have real feelings. We do have, think some of the same things that you guys do, whether it is, picking up trash or, you know, having to move a 300-pound D lineman from point A to point B, right? It's all the same. Like, it's a job. It's what you're good at. It's what you do. It's what you get paid for. You want to be treated a certain way. Now, the business aspect is interesting. The CFL is going to be presented with some new challenges with the XFL and the USFL. But is it a great time to be a football player? It seems like there might be more opportunity than ever out there. I think so. I think it is. It is. I like it too. For me, I'm I'm a fan of all alternate leagues, regardless of like what league I'm in. I'm playing. Like, yeah, I'm a CFL player, but I don't I don't believe in downing other other leagues to kind of big us up, right? I feel like if we have a great product, we got great players, and we do the things we're supposed to do, that'll naturally take care of itself. You don't have to go out there and say, hey, you know, um, I equate it to. How often do you see a commercial for Bentleys? How often do you see a commercial for like high-end brands, right? You don't see commercials yeah. for it because people know like it's a great product. You're going to get your money's worth. You're going to pay what you need to pay for it, but you're going to get you know what you deserve out of it, right? Why do we feel the need to constantly try to bring down other people so that we can big ourselves up? That should just naturally happen with what we do, right? But that's only going to occur if we treat ourselves in that manner, right? That's just, that's the thing I tell people about the difference between the CFL and the NFL is athletes are the same, to be honest. I mean, outside of the top 1% of the NFL, which is maybe one to two guys a team, right? The only real difference makers of, you know, the, the, the Julio Joneses, the, the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady's, right. That's, that's the 1% of the NFL. That's not everybody. Pretty much you can interchange bodies between CFL and NFL athletes and still get the, you're still going to be the same guys. Guys who play well, man. You heard Ocho Cinco say it like when he yeah. came to the CFL, realized like, oh, these guys are actually really good football players, right? It's a numbers thing. It has nothing to do with talent. So, the, the problem for me is how we market the product, how we show our, how we treat our players, how we um, don't give us, you know, like CFL players have always had that people like it because we're, we're blue collar, right? We're, we're, we're accessible. We're reachable. People can talk to us. Yeah, they can, yeah. you know, they can do all that type of stuff, right? People like that. But in that same sense, us having that accessibility kind of 
people brag on us. Like, oh, those guys ain't mm. those guys ain't good because you can get access to them, right? If they were any good, we wouldn't be able to reach them, right? You know what I'm saying? So my thing is, why can't we find a way to balance that out? Why can't we pay our players an appropriate amount of money where people look at us as larger than like characters and still have that accessibility still be present, right? That's something that the CFL, I feel like, doesn't take enough advantage of. So, man, and my thing too, like people like, oh, publicize the salaries. I have no problem with that because that's what's going to build that larger than life moniker, right? I, I I would be excited to see a guy like, you know, Nathan Rourke make 600, 700K yeah. a year, right? That's going to that's gonna build the image of the league, right? I would be excited to see, uh, you know, a, a linebacker, Adam Big Hill, or a defensive end making, you know, two, 300,000. Like, you want that to happen. You want that to be a normal occurrence for every team, not just one team and then other teams are trying to find a way to keep it low, right? So that's the thing I feel like helps with the, the image of us as CFL players and professional athletes is if you pay us a certain amount of money, people are going to look at us a certain yeah. amount of ways. That's just kind of that's the nature of the world, right? You make a certain amount of money, people look at you in a different light. So that's that's kind of where where that where that comes from for me. So I mean, I wanted I wanted to be where younger guys are benefiting from my time in the league, right? I want to keep pushing the envelope higher and higher and higher because as the game grows and goes along, I would love to come back in 10, 20 years and see the CFL be a big global product, right? That's what we want it to be. Now, you're on the shelf currently, briefly, with the cracked fibula. You do have hopes to uh, get in there as long as the Calgary Stampeders keep doing what they're doing, get into the West Final or the Grey Cup. Uh, but how how did you be so prepared coming into this season? Like the Calgary Stampeders, I think they've given up the least sacks. Uh, of course, they've they have a rushing attack with three stellar running backs, Peyton Logan, Diedrich Mills, Kadeem Carey. And it was a big break from football for you. Uh, yeah. You had the shortened XFL season, and then last year the Edmonton situation. But you come yeah. into this year, and it's right where you left off. It, it was like it, it, it was, was like it was like no time missed at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, that's just that's just it's, it's mental, man. Um, uh, my body had time to just relax, right? And it was nice to get away from the game yeah. for a little bit and enjoy time with my family and stuff that I kind of felt like I missed out on earlier in my career. Um, but to be honest, it was just mental, man. Like I had a, a, a lot of motivation. Um, I, I worked my I worked my ass off, man, to, to get myself ready for the season. And I was doing it while working a full eight-hour, you know, eight-hour job, you know, five, six days a week, right? So I would get up in the morning at like 3.30, 4 a.m., I go to the gym for about two hours, work out, uh, come home, shower, go to work for eight hours after work. If I, if I was feeling good, some days I, I I did it for like maybe two months. I started doing two a day. So I would work out uh, 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, start work at 7.30, work until about 3, get off at 3, go back to the gym around 4.35, work out till about 7 at night, come home, shower, play with my kids for a little bit, getting them ready for bed boom, do it again the next day. And I did it every day for like six days a week for like two months. And then as I felt myself making that transition, changed on my diet, started eating better, um, started losing weight. Cause you know, pandemic, you know, I was like everybody else pandemic. I put on a little bit of weight, 
you know, food was a little more accessible, couldn't go outside. So I had to get all that pandemic weight off me and then get myself in football shape. And I was able to do it in like a three, four month span. And then when I got into camp, it was just my legs just kind of get reacclimated to that grind of football, having to push on somebody and taking that wear and tear. And I, I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest with people, like in the beginning, it was a little rough. It was that adjustment period. And uh, the crazy thing is I was able to kind of not let it affect me too much early on. And the sad part was like, man, before that that BC game, before I got hurt, was finally like, I think mentally and physically, I started like, I'm like, okay, I'm back. Like, I'm good. Yeah. And then that's when I got hurt. Because like, normally for me, early in the season, it's still like the way I train my body and the way I get myself prepared is I always want to be on the up and up as I'm going along, right? Some guys like to peak before they get here. And then the season starts and they plateau. And then as the season goes along, mm. they drop, right? Me, I like to kind of just keep that like a roller coaster. I want to get to the top, get to the top, get to the top. And then right when we get to the playoffs for things to hit, that is downhill like for me. So I was getting to that point where I was getting yeah. there like, okay, this is time. I could. My play was just going to pick up and I was just going to take off. And then unfortunately, you know, I, I, I got the injury, man. So. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like I did what I, I did what I needed to do, right? I, I, I wanted to come back and show people that I could still do it at a high level and still be best guy in the league. I mean, that's why I felt like I was the best lineman this year. I was I was on that way to, to that point. And, uh, you know, it's a bummer that I didn't get a chance to, you know, finish it off. But I feel like I, I, I did enough to show people that I'm, I'm still the same guy I've always been. How does a 34-year-old uh, Derek Dennis react to an injury that's going to keep you out for a while compared to a 24-year-old Derek Dennis? Uh, a lot smarter, for sure. I mean, 24-year-old me, I think the last major injury I had was uh, college when I blew out my ACL. And I came back in six or seven months from that, from tearing my ACL. Uh, so, like me... Like, I always tell, I joke with people, but it's really, like, even my parents, like, tell like, I heal like Wolverine. Like, I'm, yeah. it doesn't take me long. And it's more of a mental thing, right? Once I feel like my body can handle it, like, I don't know how to, like, how to, like, you know, progress and then go slow. Like, me, I'm either 100 miles an hour or I'm not doing anything at all, right? So, I'm kind of trying to be cautious and be smart with it. I don't want to push myself too hard to the point. But honestly, I feel like, I feel like, in four weeks, I, if if they let me, I'll play. Like that's just me. Like, which is crazy too, because my coaches know that's how I am. Yeah, um, they told me that too. Like on the sideline, it was like normally when stuff happens to me, I'm normally made like wince around, and then I'll pop back up, and then I'll, I'll keep going. Like I play through anything. Everybody knows me. Like I play through anything. So the fact that I couldn't, they knew like okay, it was something that was a little, you know, more serious. And then once I got the diagnosis and I realized what it was, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, especially too like. You know, you're seeing guys like Stan Back, uh, you yeah. know, Dan Clark, all these guys coming back from that same injury, right, in a, in a you know, two to three month span, right? So I think it's just more about what my body can handle, taking care of it. Um, a big part of injuries, too, um, as I'm getting older, realizing it's eating right, you know, doing doing little stuff. Um, I'm a lot smarter in the sense I've been around long enough, so it's not many rehab or, you know, exercises and stuff that I don't realize I can do on my own. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a, I'm a creative excellence guy, right? I'm not going to wait around for somebody to say, Oh, now you can do this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to push the envelope myself while I'm sitting here and around watching TV. I'm doing, you know, ankle mobility and, mm-hmm. and strengthening stuff. And I'm, I'm only, I'm barely just two weeks out of surgery. So that's, that's just me. So I know like I could probably, if, if I could pull it off, 
again, too, like I said, the biggest basis of everything is being smart with it, right? If I could pull it off and I could play, I'm for sure going to play. But I'm never going to go out there and not be a, a, at to the, to the point where I'm not going to be able to help the team be successful, right? If I feel like me being out there is just going to be a hindrance and it's not going to help the team, then I wouldn't do it. But if I feel like I can go out there and I could get the job done, and and do it well enough to help us win, then I'll, then I'll for sure be, you know, I'll, I'll run back before they even give me the chance, before they even give me the okay. In the middle of this year, it seemed like the Bo Levi Mitchell era in Calgary came to an end or is going to following the season. And he was the quarterback behind you in 2018, winning in Edmonton, the two tough Grey Cup losses before that. Uh how has protecting Bo's blind side gone? He's the guy behind you for a lot of your career, and you were in front of him for a lot of his. Yeah, that's 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 my guy, man. I, um, honestly, I talked to him too. Like, um, I had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago, and I told him, like, you know, man, I'm I'm really proud of like how you handle the situation because I know it's tough. Um, and you know, just as football players, we don't really have a lot of control over how things go for us, right? The only thing we can control is us getting our opportunities and getting on the field and doing what we can do with it. And I, I know he has a lot of football left in him, right? Just It just so happened that sometimes circumstances or whatever the case may be, things just don't work out the way you want it to. And you just got to be able to be a pro about it and, and, and roll with the punches. So I think right now he's showing people that he's a, he's a consummate professional. He knows how to be able to, you know, play whatever role he, he's dealt. Even though, you know, inside it may it may feel different, you know, he's never going to let that affect a team or helping the team win. So he's doing everything he can outside of being on the field and making those, the throws that we know he can make to help the team, you know, progress. So um, we'll see how things play out, man. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody, you never know. You know what I'm saying? Like like me, I didn't plan on getting hurt, but you never know yeah. anything can happen at any point, right? So I think right now he's just, um, you know, just, he just, he's just rolling with his current role right now. And he's going to do it to the best of his ability. Bo's a Hall of Famer. I think we know that. Now, do you have to adjust uh, playing in front of Jake or any other quarterback for that matter? Or do you just do your job uh, the best you can? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to do your job the best you can. Now, there are adjustments, different quarterbacks. Yeah. Some quarterbacks' um, pocket presence are a little different than others. Um, and again, too, uh, that comes to, like, different things, whether, you know, height, size, strength, yeah. you know, Right, you got a shorter quarterback. May he need he needs to drop back a little more so he can see you know where he needs to get the ball to. Um, you got a guy who maybe hold the ball a little longer than others. Other guys are quick release if they don't see nothing quick. They you know taking checkdowns. Right, you got to take all those things into account when it comes to what quarterback you're playing with. Right, but for me, um, as long as I keep a man in front of me and I hold him in front of me, I, the rest of it to take care of yourself type of thing. So, um, yeah, there's always adjustments to quarterbacks, but I feel like. Most of the time, you know, you got to you got to make do with what you got, right? That's kind of the situation I had, like in SAS with Kevin Glenn, right? Kevin right. Glenn is sort of quarterback, and his dropbacks were a lot deeper than what I was used to with Bo, right? So I had that adjustment of trying to figure out, okay, where does my set need to be now to help give him that comfortability of you know what he needs to do in the pocket, or whether it be stepping up or getting outside the pocket, whatever the case may be, right? Those are all things that I feel like a lot of offensive linemen don't really take into consideration, right? And that's things that that I do as a player is that I like to know how my quarterback likes to maneuver in the pocket or fill in the pocket so that I know how to set guys on certain plays in ways so that I could give him the lanes that he needs to make those throws, right? Because if I could give him the lanes and he could get the ball out of his hands, and that makes my job 100 times easier. 
Three losses to the Blue Bombers this year. What do the Calgary Stampeders need to do, or anybody need to do, to make sure it's not a three-peat in Winnipeg? Honestly, just do what we've been doing. I mean, if I'm being honest, that first game against Winnipeg, we should have won. I feel like we got a lot of bad calls at the at the. It was just like coincidence. Right when we were about to take off and take the game over, it was like a bad call happened to give them momentum swing to keep them like in front, right? Because if you look at that first game, uh, if you know you take away some of those calls, we should have beat them by two, three touchdowns. Oh yeah. And then the second game, I'll give them the second game. They definitely did. You know, um, they definitely did the second game in Calgary. They definitely did beat us. I'll give them that game. They they played a, a hell of a football game that game. And then the third game too, just came down to. Um, you know, last second we lost that game by two points, man. Yeah. It was like a, it, it was, it was like it could have gone either way, right? So, uh, granted, yes, they had the record, and I always feel like sometimes with records and um, with certain players play a certain way. Like I, that's my thing with media is like you can always tell like certain media platforms have an agenda to push certain things in the light, right? So now they're they're pushing Winnipeg as being the back to back champs and being undefeatable and all this other stuff, right? Because that's just that's building like the hoopla around it that they have stuff to write about, right? But I honestly, I don't think anybody in the league feels like Winnipeg can't be beat. Now think about it. They lost think look at their losses. They lost a, a Montreal team who yeah. who's very up and down. They lost to Hamilton who's been super up and down. So it's not like they're not beatable. It, you just got to make enough plays to beat them, right? The good thing that they do as a team, and I'll give them a lot of credit for it, is that they don't they don't hurt themselves. That's the key. The key is to beating them is you can't hurt yourself more than they hurt themselves, right? You got to be able to try to find a way to – because they're going to play disciplined discipline football, whether it be offense, whether it be defense. Um, but I think, you know, the games will be a little different as we get to colder weather, right? Because yeah. the biggest strength for their offense – now their running game is starting to pick up, but their biggest strength is the passing game, right? You take away their passing game and you try to force, you know, their running game to beat you, you got a shot. You, know, you got a shot. I think that's what happened in the Montreal game that they lost. It's also what happened in the Hamilton game, right? If you, you find a way to limit their passing game and put pressure on Caleros and, and not give him a chance to to make those plays, which is tough too because <clears throat> I call Zach Houdini. Like he yeah. makes <laughs> – he makes he makes plays that you think are dead. And he needs oh, some yeah. way to make it make it a big play. So you got to limit those those abilities, and and you got to um and their defense is is definitely they're a good defense. They're disciplined, but you can put points up on them. So as long as you limit Zach and you keep putting the points on the defense, you got a shot to beat them. All right, it's CFL award season uh, now. Fans can vote. For their uh, their all star ballot, I think they can vote three times. I don't think the CFL's ever done this, and of course, the, the discussion is going for MOC, MOP, most outstanding defensive player. Uh, now, I I I just got to ask about Nathan Rourke, like his performance early in the year. Did he play enough to be an all star? Uh, yeah. Or be well, maybe not MOP anymore. But uh, did he play enough to be an All Star? If he was in the East, for sure. The West makes it tough because now he's up against Zach, who had a yeah. season, who's on the number one team, winning team, and was a back to back Great Cup champion and MOP from last year. So, I think if he played a full season and the trajectory he was on, then like, yeah, you're pretty much gonna have to give him every single. I'm not gonna lie about that. At first, at first, I'll be honest. I tell people too, like I wasn't a big believer in Nathan Rourke early in the year because 
a lot of their earlier games were against Edmonton. So I'm like, it's Edmonton. Like, everybody's everybody's lighting Edmonton up, right? It wasn't until we played them the first game. And in the beginning, we were we were, we were putting pressure on him, right? But the way he responded in that game and yeah. then late game, that fourth quarter, he just – he started dicing our defense up. I was like, okay, yeah, this kid's the real deal. Like, I give it to him. He's the real deal. So, um, and you look at, like, just the way he throws the ball with the, the speed of it, the velocity, wow. mechanics. Like, he's a really good football player. I give him that. So, he does deserve some recognition for what he did. Granted, it's tough, man. He played, what, eight, nine games? I know. It's like, I mean, the crazy thing is, too, is, like, I think they posted it a week or two ago. He was still third in passing <laughs> up until maybe, like, a week or two ago. Wild. <laughs> Insane because he played not even half the games of of uh, like uh, I think Trevor Harris. I mean Trevor Harris hasn't played as many games as him neither. Like, but again, like it took guys almost three quarters of a season to catch up to him from what he did in the first like eight nine games. So like, of course you're gonna take that into consideration. Like, here's the thing: do you give him awards based off of potential, or do yeah. you give him awards? Or, or do awards go to people who actually, you know, played, did well, X, Y, Z thing? Because I feel like that could be the case when it comes to me for, like, MOL. It's like, you give MOL right. to a guy who played 18 games, even though he may have given up more sacks or more pressures than me, you give it to a guy who played 18 games, or do you look at my body work and go, if I stayed on my trajectory, which I think for me is, like, I gave up maybe less than less than 14 pressures and one sack and 14 starts. Like, that's what one pressure a game, and not even what a point two something sacks a game. Like that's that's. Do you take that in consideration, or do you look at a guy who played eighteen games, like Stanley or or Figueroa or whatever the case may be, right? Or all those guys, and say, okay, maybe they deserve it because they played the full season, right? That's things that you gotta. That's I feel like it's a situation right now for Nathan Rourke. Now the award, I feel like he should still be in consideration for most outstanding Canadian. That's an interesting one because I think it, we're at right now six games in a row where Nick Dembski has a uh, touchdown reception. Uh, he's definitely in it. But, yeah, but, Kean Schaefer Baker, Curly yeah. Gittins. There's some good Canadians uh, making like noises a four, here. It's a four horse race right now for most outstanding Canadians, maybe five. So I would say, I would say Nathan Rourke. I would say Cam Judge, a uh, linebacker for us. I would say Dembski. I would say Keen Schaefer Baker, and I would say Curly Gittins Jr. Now, you got to pick out of those five who's going to be yeah. the most. Idiot. I feel like Curly Gittins gets it for the East, right? For sure, he'll be a finalist. The West, you got four guys to pick from. You got KSB, you got Dembski, you got Rourke, and you got Judge. There was a really interesting uh, point that I had saw you had made. There's a lot of love going to players and no disrespect to them that have poor records, you know, (laughs) not many wins on the season, but there's standouts on those teams. Do they deserve, well, of course they deserve to have some sort of recognition, but compared to a standout on, you know, somebody that's going to be hosting a playoff game or, you know, first in their division or something like that. Right. I, honestly, I feel like they do deserve recognition, and I, a lot of those guys should be all-stars. Like, I think Jalen Acklin, I think Tim White, uh, I think uh, who else? Um, uh, somebody mentioned uh, Malden. Like, those guys are yeah. going to be all-stars, right? For sure. 
Now the question becomes when you go to vote for CFL All-Stars, who who are you going to pick, right? Now my argument that I had on Twitter, I was getting to somebody was over Malden, right? And it was for most outstanding defensive player. And I'm going, granted, yes, Ottawa always has one player who has crazy crazy stats, right? I think I think a couple years ago it was Avery Williams who was like leading the league in tackles, right? But again, that's because you spend a lot of time on the field, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to make plays, right? Now, my thing comes into consideration is um, when you're voting for, like, these awards, to me, those awards should go to guys who you feel like if you were to take that guy off the field, if you were to – is that guy, like, winning games for your team? Is that guy, like, directly affecting the outcome of games type of thing, right? Now, Malden has having a, a stud of a year. I give him that. He's had, He's got great numbers, Right. But if you look at his numbers compared to other guys who could be up for that spot, it's his numbers that astronomically better than those guys to the point where you go, okay, he has to be the MODP. That's where my argument comes from. It's going, all right, we got a guy on a losing team with 14 sacks, but you got a guy on a winning team with 13 sacks. Like, why is it that? Because maybe he has he has one more sack to him, and it's the difference between first and second place. Why is it now like, you know, people always like to find numbers that kind of fit their narrative, right? And my thing is, look at the overall picture. Like, are you watching games? Are you watching film? Are you seeing the impact that this guy has on his defense or for his team, right? If I can watch a winning team and I can consistently say, yeah, that guy is showing up every game, plays, making plays, doing what he needs to do, right? I feel like that's why a guy like Willie Jefferson gets the the, the moniker that he gets, right? Because his numbers are not astronomically better than anybody, but when you watch film or you watch games, he shows up. He makes plays. He makes game-changing plays. So you look at him and go, well, that guy is really good because every time I'm watching a game, he's making a game-changing play, right? That's how I feel. It's like, yeah, you can watch Maldon play, but, like, nothing about his play is making you go, oh, like, yeah, he's, he's single-handedly, you know, wrecking the game, right? He has great stats, but is he wrecking the game? I don't think so. Now, if I look at him compared to a guy like, you know, my my vote for MODP is Sean Lemon, and it's not because he's my teammate and, and he uh, he's a good friend, he's a teammate. But I feel like, how many years have we watched Sean Lemon consistently wreck games with getting sacks when he need to be getting got making plays? Right? How do you discredit a guy for making plays when when he does? And he's been doing it for so long that you don't realize the guy has ninety sacks. We're talking about. The only person in the league who has more sacks than Lemon is Charleston, and, then, and he's not even being used in sacks. So you're talking about the only active starter right now with more sacks than anybody. He has more sacks than any defensive end in the last two seasons. Wow. Well, and he has the most sacks that he's had since 2016. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's playing great, great football. 34, and- at 34 years old, you know, that's the thing, too, like, a lot of people, and I, I talk to them too, and it's the same thing with me, right? Now that we're like, in our minds, we're not old. We don't look at us any different than anybody else, right? I'm not, I forget sometimes that I'm 34 years old until I talk to somebody in the locker room and I go, holy, holy, like, <laughs> little kid. <laughs> but I forget sometimes, right? But, you know, the younger guys, you know, that's the thing. They like to remind you, like, oh, you old, right. you old, you old. But yet, I'm still out here with you, right? I'm still out here every day with you. I'm still out here grinding with you. I'm keeping up with you, right? Even though I got eight, nine, ten years on you, right? So that's that's the thing. Like I think that that should be that like kind of exasperates it even more to me. It's like you're talking about a guy who's been in the league for ten plus years, 
consistently near double digits, consistently, and he only has one all-star to show for it. That's pretty wild to me. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like he's a guy who doesn't get enough respect for what he does. For whatever reason, people like to hate on the man. I don't know why, but he consistently gets the job done, regardless of where he's at. He gets the job done, right? Think about it. Edmonton two years ago just tried to tell us that he was washed up. Yet he's the only, he's the only defensive back. He has twenty sacks, almost twenty plus sacks in the last two years. After Edmonton told us that he couldn't get it done anymore, does that make you know what I'm saying? Now you, that's things you got to take into consideration for me. So I feel like right now I'm going with a guy who got consistency, who's consistently been getting it done, who's consistently been making an impact on any defense that he played on. He, he's he's a champion. He ha- he has the pedigree. He has the resume. Why are we not? Why are we not? You know, he he deserve he deserves it, right? Now, granted, I'm not saying Malden's not having a great year, but if I had to pick a guy from a losing team and a winning team, and their stats are not too that that much different, I'm going to go with a guy on a winning team. Man, I, I I'm looking at his numbers: 13 sacks the year Calgary won the Grey Cup in 2014, uh, eight sacks in 12 games when Toronto won the Grey Cup in 2017. I mean, yeah, and 20 in the last two years. And he was one of, I think, the most under the radar acquisitions for the Stampeders last year. Nobody really, wow. Edmonton said, "We well, are not a part of our culture, or whatever that was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't get it done." And he's a part of Calgary's culture, and he's playing well. Listen, man, the guy, the guy, just you know, it's, it's certain things. When I say, like, for me, when I look at football players, I look at guys who are good at the game of football, right? Yeah, the height may take it. Yeah, height, weight, you know, the, the yeah. eye, right? I don't like the eye test because the eye, the eye test can lie to you, right? You can just because you can look at something and it looks good to look at doesn't mean that. You know, everything that everything that doesn't shimmer is is gold, right? And that's the thing that I have the issue with, like the NFL, right? The NFL goes for the sexy looking players, yeah. right? They're not always the best football players. So I like to watch football players. I like to watch guys. I don't care what your body looks like. I don't care how tall you are. If you can play the game of football, that is that is a talent in itself because not everybody can play the game of football at a high level. So he's a football player. He's a guy who if you if you let him on the field. He's going to make an impact some way, shape, or form. doesn't matter what it looks like. I mean, if you look at the last game against Toronto, right, even though his stats, he still ended up with a sack in that game. But think about it. He caused the interception yeah. with the pressure for Thurman. He he made key uh, tackle for losses um, on, on certain plays. Like, he's he's forcing the ball. If he's not making a tackle, he's forcing the ball into somebody else, right? you got to look at the film and see those type of things, right? And that's the thing that I get on with who they're allowing to vote who they're allowing to pick these things. It's like, are you watching the game? Are you seeing the impact that this player is having to justify why he's getting this award? That's that's what I feel like. That's why I like guys like Marshall Ferguson and and, and uh, Derek uh, Taylor, like guys who actually watch film, watch things, try to see the game for what it is and not just out there like calling their buddies and going, hey, I got to vote, you know, who you think I should pick? And they just picking the name that they know and they're going, okay, boom, I'll pick that name. Does a CFL player appreciate being on the CFLPA All-Star team more than the other ones a little bit because of that fact where you say that, yeah, somebody might just look at the most games played for an O-lineman or, you know, most tackles or sacks for a defensive player, and, yeah, I'll vote for him, you know? Yeah, I would say yes and no. And the reason why I say no is because – 
a lot of players do hate on each other. Oh. <laughs> they may not say it publicly, but a lot of guys are always in their own locker room saying, oh, that guy's not good, that guy's not this, right. he's not that right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just what it is. Or guys may vote for somebody else because they don't like the guy, right? Mm. It'd be like a, you know what I'm saying? A guy like Simone who's on, who's on the field every game pissing somebody off. They'd be like, yeah, I hate him. He's not even that good. He just talks too much. Like, I'm not voting for him type of thing, right? But my thing is, I try to be, I try to, I try to, you know, take my feelings, personal feelings out of it when I vote for people. Like, if I feel like a guy's good, a guy's good. A guy who I think should get some recognition this year, and it sucks, Jake Sheresna. I think Jake Sheresna, even though he's he's missed a lot of games, he's been killing. I mean, guy has 10 sacks in, what, seven games? <laughs> when he's out there, you're talking about wrecking plays, Sheresna's a guy. That's a, yeah. guy who, that's a guy who I think, like, on a losing team, if I had to pick a CFL All-Star off a losing team, I would pick him over anybody else. Because he's actually a guy who makes an impact. Like that defense is a completely different defense when he's not on the field. So mm-hmm. that's a guy who I feel like should get recognition. Um, so that's my thing. It's like I don't mind like looking. And Jake is honestly, I think Jake's the only guy who beat me for a sack this year. That's well, you, you played in an era with some of the best pass rushers ever to play in the CFL: Charleston, yeah. Lemon, Bowman, <laughs> Odell. Like. Yeah. It seems yeah. like it was a tough era to be an old lineman. <laughs> it was. It was, actually. It was a lot of good guys, man, too. And, and, then, and, of course, too, it was like a lot of guys who were coming back from the NFL and playing. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, man, I'm drawing blanks. It was, uh, you know, you had, like, Edmonton. I think Edmonton D-line in 2015 was was super oh, good. Like, that was, yeah. like, my rookie. That was, like, my introduction to, like, the CFL. I played, like, three games against that D-line. And I think that's what kind of made me – Realize like okay, I can play well in this league type of thing. But I mean, I played against a lot of good, a lot of good defensive ends, guys who who, who can play the game, who had like NFL pedigree type of stuff. Um, and I think that's too. I think I think that's part of the reason why I always felt like I could come back and be successful because like even me sitting out last year and watching, like I, <laughs> I mean, not to sound arrogant, but I would watch the games and be like, oh yeah, I can, I can handle these guys like, like easy peasy lemon squeezy, right? Especially too, like for me the best guy that everybody was talking about was Willie J, right? And honestly, I have no issues with Willie. Willie's, Willie's, <laughs> Willie might be, and I'm, I'm not saying this to sound crazy, but Willie might be the easiest guy to block, for sure, hands down. Just because I know, like, I've spent a lot of he time He doesn't around. seem like your traditional no, pass no, no. rusher in any way, you know? No, he's different like, than anybody. Yeah, and I think his biggest, his biggest strength is the fact that he's long, and he doesn't have a lot of surface to hit, right? So a guy that I could equate to him that kind of fits that mold is uh, the the kid Guachum from BC. He was another one, kind of get that same like Willie J mold, tall guy, long, lanky, can get his hands on balls, tip balls, you know, all that type of stuff. Right? Wasn't you know when he makes his pass rush moves, it's like when he gets skinny, it's even harder to hit him because there's really nothing, no surface there to hit. Right? As opposed to like yeah. guys who are, who are bigger and you can get your hands on them a little better. Right? Um, like, like for me, like the, the toughest thing with, with why I like Jake Serezna is because Jake is a big guy, but he's actually really like, he's, he's really, um, uh, elusive, right? Kind of like Mike Moore was like same, that right. same type of build, a bigger guy who has like a defensive end background from the States and he comes up here and plays D tackle. And they're, those are guys who can really rush the passer and get skinny and do all, all those types of things. Right. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, I, I've played against all types of guys, man. I, I feel like there's not too many guys that, like, me, I don't go into games thinking, like, oh, yeah, I can't. I'm going to have trouble with this guy. I can't block him. Like, I just go into games trying to – with a game plan. Okay, what if, what can I do against this guy that works? What can I not do that doesn't work? 
right? I know like when I'm like, again, like I said, when I'm playing really, I know not to open my hip because that's what he's looking for. So if I don't open my hip now, he's like, okay, what, what do I do? Like, I don't you know. I got to turn it into a bull rush or that type of stuff. Right. Those are the times where like, it's the chess game within the chess game. Right. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of offensive linemen don't play that chess game. Right. And that's really what it is. It's like, what can I do to take a table, take away what you like to do and what you don't like to do. Right. A lot of guys don't like facing me because I'm patient. I'm not aggressive. I'm not going to go after you. I'm going to wait for you to come to me. Why do I, you got to go through me to get to the quarterback. Why am I rushing to get to you? Like, I'm not, I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. We, we're just going to dance for however long we can dance until the ball is gone type of thing. So um, that's, that's stuff that I feel like guys don't really, you know, when it comes to like what I do in the off season to get myself prepared to play football, that's what separates me from other guys is that I'm working on moves, right? Same way a defensive end is working on moves. Yeah. I'm working on different pass sets. I'm working on changing my feet. I'm working on using my hands differently, punching with two, punching with one or another, like doing all these different types of things to be able to counteract and combat, right? Because all it all it is is just like it's like a boxing match, like two boxes. If I throw a left hook, yeah. you're gonna throw you're gonna throw a right jab. Like you know, you got to figure out how to how to do that. So that's that's what it is to me. Now, I'll ask you one more question. CFL All-Star voting, is there any guys that you feel should be getting love that aren't necessarily, they don't have to be on your team, they can be on anybody uh, in the league that you think, yeah, these guys deserve to, because I feel like when you're watching the games, especially now, you're kind of rehabbing the the leg a little bit, you're commenting on the games on on Twitter, you got the fancy Twitter blue now, so (laughs) you got to use it, who are some guys that need some love this award? I'm trying trying to get ready for my second career, man, I'm hoping they can't send high Hey, you might. <laughs> there's a lot of talk among fans that Bo might end up on the TSN panel, and hey, maybe you could end up. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, man. That they, they need, they need a little bit of you, especially too. I feel like we need some, some, some linemen representation Absolutely. on there as well. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a guy, um, I mean, a lot of the guys are going to be probably in the East, right? So I feel like. Geno Lewis should be a CFL all-star this year. Um, who's a guy consistently putting up numbers regardless of who his quarterback is. He's making plays. He's 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 impacting he's impacting games. Um, you know, I mentioned Jake Serezna. I think he's a guy who should get some love too as well. Um Kenny Lawler would have got some love too, man. I mean, him getting hurt is tough. Again, another guy who's in a situation where, you know, are, are you talking about projections of what he's gonna be as opposed to guys who played the full season, right? Um, and again, too, like I put Kenny Lawler, Jalen Acklin, Tim White in that same threshold of guys who are playing really well on on terrible teams. Um, you got to go Dominic Rhymes, man. He's still putting up numbers, yeah. um, um, even though his quarterback change, um, especially too with, you know, with uh, Burnham being hurt and stuff. He's still going out there and, and, and doing good things for them. So I think Dominic Rhymes should be a CFL all-star this year, regardless. Um, and again, too, BC's a good team, right? So, um if I'm looking at defense, um, uh, man, I would say a guy people don't talk about enough, Mike Rose, for sure, should be a CFL All Star. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Yeah, yeah. It's I, weird. I, I find it's a weird defensive year. Uh, yeah. Normally there has been like a I don't know a linebacker that's just running away with it or something. Yeah. But this year it's not that's not I mean, really happening. Sankey Sankey does make plays. He does. Um, and so does Dean and Larry Thurman Dean. and yeah. Well, 
I think I think I think like Sankey, Larry Dean, Thurman, those are three guys who don't get talked about enough, but they're really solid linebackers. Um and they've and they've all been relatively healthy for the teams. I yeah. think what Larry, what Larry Dean is doing is, is big coming back from that Achilles and being able to still um be a be a defensive factor. Again, now you take into consideration of, you know, Sash has lost what eight yeah. out of Ten games, like their defense is, has been on the field, but they haven't been able to stop people in critical moments, right? Um, you look at what Winnipeg did against them, and they was putting the linebackers on Dempsey yeah. and Dempsey field day. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, do you take those things into consideration, or you know what is what is what is this you're looking at? Now these guys are you know putting up numbers, right? That's my thing. Yeah. The numbers always tell the full story of of what's being done, right? You got a lot of guys who you know, like Thurman. Thurman's a guy who doesn't put up big numbers, but he does have an impact on on that on a very good defense, right? You think and look at the look at our defense. Our defense is what top two defenses in the league, right? And we got a number of guys who make impactful plays, but they just don't you know don't have the sexiness around it, right? I think another guy would be like Jonathan Moxie, um who who, mm-hmm. who probably doesn't get talked about enough but has been really solid this year. Especially in our secondary who's kind of been a revolving door. He's been like kind of the the consistent Factor of being able to move around in different spots and being able to you know play well and do things. So I think you could take those things into consideration. Um, yeah, I think outside of that, I mean that's the only the only thing I could, I could only person I could really think of. Man, the running backs is pretty pretty cut and dry. You know you know who who the running backs are. Yeah. Um, I think if Stanback had a full full healthy yeah. year, definitely be up there. Um, but you know right now running back is pretty much. Kadeem carries to lose, right? That's he's the best running back in the league. You know, you know, I, I think a guy who has a small sample size, but you don't know what he could do would be the running back from Edmonton. He's been yeah. really well. Um, but he, I mean, you can't consider him to see if the All Star doesn't have enough games. So, mm-hmm. um, I think this year it's it's a it's a little cut and dry in a lot of different spots. It's a little more uh, tougher, uh, especially too with like all the injuries. There's been a lot of injuries to key guys who you normally expect to be in the conversation, right? So now you got to take into consideration of who's the guys that replace them. Are they making a difference? Um, you know what I'm saying? You look at Winnipeg, you pretty much – you got an idea of who you think is going to be all-stars, right? I think the biggest thing um, for me would be like offensive line. That's probably the toughest spot to pick for all-star sure. guys who are good, right? My thing is now you – us in Calgary, we have the, you know, probably the best numbers, group numbers for offensive line, right? So my thing is if, if you're looking for all-stars, how do you pick a guy like a, like a Patty Newfield over Ryan Seaver, right? How do you pick, um, you know, uh, if you wanted to go, you know, Logan Furland or something from, from SAS over Zach Williams, right? Guys who are kind of in that same threshold of being young, good players, right? But one offensive line is doing really well. One offensive line yeah. is not. So how do you consider that guy an all-star over the guy who's playing on the offensive line who's playing well, right? So that's the that's the tough spot, I feel like, you know. Um, and, and, and again, too, like, that's like the thing now. I think I had to talk with Derek Taylor. He was saying how um, he likes to look at pressures by a defensive end to tell if they're good or not. But it's like my thing is, at the end of the day, a defensive end, what's the two numbers that matter to them the most? Sacks. And and pretty much, you know, tackles for loss should be the yeah. other thing. Right? That's depending on the position, right? If you're a D tackle, tackles for loss will probably be bigger than sacks for you, right? If you're a defensive end, sacks are going to be bigger than tackles for loss for you, right? So, and and again, too, I I put tackles for loss and sacks kind of like that same threshold of impactful plays, right? If you can hit, hit a running back before he gets to the line of scrimmage, that's an impactful play, right? So, 
Um, that's a that's a stat like I feel like doesn't get enough love in the CFL because we don't have four downs. We got three downs, right? You're not going to run the ball as much in a game as you are going to pass it, right? So yeah. we're in a, if we're in a passing league where numbers matter for D linemen, sacks. Simple as that. So if you're getting you're getting sixty pressures, but you got three sacks to show for it. I mean, that tells me one of two things: either you he's not finishing every quarterback properly, and again, two, uh, somebody had the argument like pressures. They argue pressures could be more impactful than sacks, and I'm like, not all pressures turn into picks. You think about it: mm-hmm. who, who, who has the most picks in the league? I think the highest number is what five, six picks. Toronto, Jamal Peters, yeah, yeah, yeah six picks, right? And that's the number one. And you know what I'm saying? So it's not like there's a high number of picks, so you could yeah. say these pressures are affecting you know, that much of a game, right? right? Again, too, you make a pressure and the quarterback throws an incompletion, the next play he can throw a first down. So how impactful is a pressure as opposed to a sack, which changes field position, right? You can get a sack and knock someone out of field goal range. You can get a sack and, you know, kind of, you know, that's the thing. A pressure doesn't knock you out of field goal range, yeah. a sack yeah. does. So how is it that you can put more weight on pressures when sacks are still, I mean, if you look at the game of football, are a more impactful play. So, um, that's that's stuff that you gotta you gotta take into consideration, right? So, um, I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys who deserve some recognition. I mean, who's going to get it again? Too that comes down to yeah. the people who voted, right? So, well, I I gotta ask now, how would you assess the state of the offensive line, maybe across the league? Now, I see that the quarterbacks get a lot of a lot of pressure saying that the quarterback play is poor overall, but sometimes on, on some teams it looks like the it's quarterback doesn't have a chance <laughs> to, yeah, to make any together. plays. It's tied together for sure. I think, yeah. uh, I think, I think a prime example is you see Dane Evans playing a little better now. Hamilton, not at their offensive yeah. line, the players on it, you know, they made the trade for beard, Colin Kelly. Um, you know, you got guys who are, who are a little more experienced in the game. They're, they're playing well. Their offensive line is looking better. They're running the ball a little better now than they did early in the year. Um, Sash, who's, well, I think they've given up 66 sacks so far. Yeah. It's, it's, and again, too, my argument that I put on Twitter was, why are we not talking about these offensive line coaches as well when your team is giving up that many sacks, right? Now, it can't all be the players, right? It has to – got to take scheme into account. you got to take into account, like, what techniques are they being taught and they're out there executing that's not working for them, you know, that type of thing. My thing I like to – that I always liked about playing here in Calgary with Delmonico is that the stuff that he teaches, you see it working on the field, right? Mm. So it's like, okay, I can't go against what coach is teaching because I've seen other guys do it and it worked for them, Right. He's teaching stuff that's going to work. Like he doesn't. His his favorite saying is, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to waste your time out here. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you stuff that you're going to. That's going to translate to what you're going to do on the field. Right now, again, are these guys working on stuff that's going to help them be successful on game day? You got to take that into consideration. Right. Not everything is about talent. Right. Offensive line is one of those positions where technique is way more important than talent. If you know technique you can kind of work around that talent threshold, right? Yeah. But again, if you're not teaching guys proper technique and you're just telling them to go out there and and make it happen, well, you know, now you're not preparing your players properly to go out there and be successful and make your offense. So, and again, I'll say, if you don't have an offensive line, you don't have an offense. So um, I think, and again, too, again, it, take, it takes everybody, right? I think what makes us good here in Calgary is that quarterbacks are smart with the ball. We're doing our jobs as offensive linemen. Running backs are doing their jobs protecting, 
receivers, you know, again, too, in the CFL, you got receivers who also get involved in pass pro or fullbacks yeah. in that case, right? Everybody has to be able to do their job, right? So if you're giving up that many sacks, it's not just falling on the offensive line. Again, they're going to get the brunt of it, but a lot of it does come to play with schemes and what are you doing to help these guys be successful? Are you playing to their strengths as opposed to their weaknesses, right? If you know you don't, if you know you got guys who are not good at normal seven-step dropbacks, well, then why are you keep calling seven-step dropbacks and you know you don't have the horses to execute that offense, right? Again, that goes into coaching and preparing your players to be successful. So, um, you got to take all those things into consideration, man. I think I think the state of of offensive linemen again too, and I, that's kind of why I do what I do in the offseason with training offensive linemen and doing what I do is because I feel like the coaching of offensive line has taken a big hit mm. in football, and guys are not preparing offensive linemen properly anymore through all levels, right? Because now you're getting all these sexy offenses, and everybody wants to all this trickery yeah. and all these sweeps and all these all these sexy looking plays, right? But you're not preparing your horses to be able to take care of that, you know, in the same way, right? It's like it's this sense of if you own horses, you know, right? You want your horse to go into a race and run as fast as they can and and look as good. You got to put the, the time, you got to invest money into them. You got to, you know what I'm saying? You get what you pay for in a sense, right? If you're not paying, you you want to get cheap linemen, you're going to get cheap offensive line play. That's mm-hmm. just that's just what it is. So um, that's, that's all those things go into consideration with that. So I feel like, the coaching aspect should be should be harped on a little more than it is um, when it comes to um, offensive line play, especially in our league. Oh, it could continue for a long time. The coach's cap, whether that plays a, yeah. in effect to it and all <laughs> it that stuff. <laughs> it probably does. It probably does. It probably does. Should, it probably does. Six, I think they should get rid of it, though. I think they should get rid of it, though. Yeah, I, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> at six bone crusher three on Twitter, Derek Dennis say thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me, man. Oh, for sure, Travis, man. I appreciate it, man. So it's always good kicking you with you. Thanks again to Derek Dennis for coming on the show. I hope to see the Bone Crusher back onto the field for the West Final and or the Great Cup or back doing his thing in the CFL next season. This episode of To and Out brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. Welcome to Super Typical Mega Bank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account. May I pressure you into considering a pro disadvantage, high regret, impersonal, everyday inconvenience savings plan with added compounded confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer. Next! If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. Hey, thanks for pressing play on this episode of the Two and Out CFL Podcast. I will be back on Thursday with another fun episode. You can rate, review, subscribe. In the meantime, to Two and Out on your favorite podcatcher, hey, ring the bell, like, leave a comment on YouTube as well. We will talk to you soon on Two and Out. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.